0: VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a 7-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at leno.com slash ifreaks.
1: Hey everybody, and welcome to the ifreaks show, episode number 235. This week on our panel, we have James Zuber. Hello from Minneapolis. Erica Sedun.
2: Hello from Denver, Colorado.
1: I'm Andrew Madsen in Salt Lake City, Utah. And this week we have a guest. Our guest is Gregorio Zanon. Uh, Gregorio, will you introduce yourself?
3: Um, sure. I'm in Geneva, Switzerland right now. Um, I'm the co-leader at DigiDNA. Uh, we are an independent developer and uh, we make an app called uh, iMazing which um, is basically an iOS device manager browser backup solution.
1: Cool. So I've actually seen iAmazing before, um, but I'd like to know uh, a little more about it. And it seems like it's an app that can do a whole bunch of different things. But I'm sort of curious to know what your average customer, what your average user looks like. What are they doing? Are they regular users of iPhones? Are they developers? What what kind of person are they?
3: It really depends. We get all sorts. um, It's quite hard to to answer that question directly because we have uh, three kinds of users, I'd say. Um, We have users who have specific needs. They need to do something which iTunes won't let them do, for example. Uh, Let's say uh, you need to recover music from an old iPod, for example, or you need to export your chats um, to CSV. That's not possible uh, with Apple's vanilla tools. So people um, search in, in Google uh, search, for example, and they'll, they'll search for how do I export my messages to CSV and Amazing will pop up. Uh, then a second category of users are um, the ones who want backups, um, the ones who are really concerned about data safety. They'll turn to us because we have a time machine for iOS uh, kind of solution. Then another kind of user or power users are developers who need access to the logs, the uh, device logs, for example, and um, who want to have more insights into um, application data. They may use iMazing to push data to their application in developer mode, and they can also use iMazing to try to modify backups and to do some tricks with iOS. So these are, yeah, broadly the three categories of users we have.
2: That is a lot of feature sets.
3: Mm. We did, uh, well, we're about to suffer from iTunes bloat, and um, we'll do something about it uh, pretty soon. But yes, uh, it grew gradually over the years. Uh, We started as Tune 8 and became Disc 8, and now we're iAmazing. So we just started with music and then expanded into file transfer and uh, backup, and now we, yeah. We're a fully-fledged iOS device manager.
2: So what motivated you to take these different use scenarios and put them into one glommed application that does so much for so many different categories of users?
3: Um, I'd say the basic motivation is the um, go-beyond-iTunes statement. Uh, We... We don't want to accept the rules uh, and to play exactly by the rules. We want full access to our own data. It's about data ownership. Uh, if you put music on an iPod and then you, you lose the master library, you expect to be able to recover this data. So this is a, yeah, a very powerful motivation for us, um, data ownership, basically. I'd say this, this would be the one key uh, unifying factor.
2: But... What you're offering in your feature set
3: seems um,
2: to be overlapping. You've got the data ownership where you say, this is your data. You are empowered to access that data. And that is a really cool feature set. But then you also have the one where you are a developer and you want to do staging for testing and so forth. And then there's just general management as well, and it seems like there are so many ideas in this single application. It's like, can you tell? Can you say to somebody, your app is too powerful?
3: Um, yes, I tend to to think that. Um, and as I was mentioning before, we we are conscious that we have this. Uh, this problem, I mean, we, we realize it, especially when we have to pitch iMazing, like, where do we start? Um, but the problem is a bit more complex when you, um, when you know how accessing iOS data works. The fact that um, we need to back up your device to display any data. So de facto, iMazing became a backup tool. And then uh, to save space on your computer, we want to back up on the same uh, in the same location as uh, iTunes does, so that um, iTunes and iAmazing backups are shared. And then because iOS backups are not versioned, in order not to overwrite uh, your iTunes backup and not to cause data loss, we implemented uh, backup versioning. So hence the Time Machine aspects of it. Uh, it's everything is so implicated that it's it's very difficult just to to focus on a on a single thing. Uh, You cannot display messages without showing backups. You cannot refresh your messages without making a new backup and risking overriding the previous one. And it's, yeah, on and on.
2: Mm -hmm. But the thing that really jumps out at me is where you say it's really hard to come up with an elevator pitch for what this product is. So why haven't you said okay, we have actually three different user types, why don't you have three different apps? Even if the underlying fundamentals are shared between them, Hmm. why not fine-tune the ergonomics for each user?
3: Um, This is exactly what we have planned and what we're working on now. Um, There's well, we're currently in the in the midst of a refactor of our toolkit. We have a C++ toolkit um, because we're a cross-platform apps, so all the logic is in C++, and uh, then we build native native UI for Windows and Mac. So we have quite a lot of work to do to refactor that um, toolkit and make it um, make it shareable amongst different products. And we're exactly in that process right now, actually.
1: I I'm I'm trying to figure out how to formulate this question, but um you're you're doing a lot of it seems like iMazing is probably doing a lot of things that are not necessarily um you're doing things that Apple is not necessarily um rolling out the red carpet for developers to do. uh mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. How, how do you how do you go about, about figuring out how to access some of these things about iOS that are, you know, not documented and and, and
3: whatever. Well, there's a lot of uh, reverse engineering um, involved. That took quite a long time. Um, we have a very talented developer working with us and uh, who you know, reads assembly code and, uh, and comes up with uh, strategies to reverse engineer um, uh, iOS services and, and, and to link with um, Apple private APIs. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. uh, Do you do uh, any
2: work with Samantha Marshall?
3: um, Not at all.
2: Because there seems to be an overlap of freeing the platform between your work and SDM mobile device, which is a GitHub repository. And I will link that in the show notes. And both Projects seem to have this attitude of, it is your system. You, as the owner of it, should be able to access your data without having corporate interference between you and the, the data that you have put together that's essentially yours. You've paid for it.
3: Mm-hmm. very interesting i i look forward to look that up uh, i'm actually not aware of that project i will i will investigate that immediately um, but yes apple does have i should note uh, very good reasons to make it difficult for you to to reach your data um, that reason is privacy and and security so i don't think it's just completely a matter of uh, of corporations wanting to be in control. It's partly this, yes, but there are some some very good reasons. Uh, and when we'll talk about the WhatsApp shared containers a bit later, um, that's an example where the system was more secure uh, in iOS seven than it got in iOS eight, where uh, to face criticism uh, from users that the system was too closed, uh, Apple um, rolled out shared containers.
2: I've got to say that the staging of applications for testing, for deployment, and so forth, that is a really exciting part of your application that I don't think I would have even thought of looking at your product page. Can you tell me more about that?
3: Um, Well, we don't have any specific tools besides uh, installing um, an IPA and then uh, letting you interact with its file system, so with the library and the documents folder. So this is, it's just a, a consequence of tools we have, um, we have elsewhere. Uh, it's not, we don't have anything specifically tailored for developers besides detecting a developer app and then letting you access this library folder just like you would before iOS 8.3.
2: Because mm-hmm. I find Xcode sadly insufficient for doing exactly this. Mm. I want to be able to run an app and just have constant access to the Mm -hmm. files it's manipulating, whether it's preference files or documents or any other files there as I'm in the development process. Sure. Sure I want to be able to pre-populate those folders. I want to be able to see how my application changes things, whether it's doing things as expected or not. And, The fact that your application can do this, and it seems to do this in a much nicer way than Xcode does, I find that incredibly exciting.
3: Um, It's actually a use case we we strangely haven't haven't, uh, given much thought to and haven't marketed at all. So I'm making a big note in capitals here. and I will definitely talk um, with my co-leader tomorrow about this. And I think it's something we, we have completely overlooked. We should definitely inform developers more about this. Um, it's, it was so evident for us, I guess, that we completely overlooked. Mm, we don't talk about it, and we, we, we don't market it so much at all.
4: So this sounds like <laughs> a fourth app. Out. So, Erica, can you tell us some examples of what you're talking about? I, I think I get it, but for the... art for the, Our listeners, like what type of stuff would you like to see in the file system?
2: This is a really common problem. And it's one that Xcode really does try to help you with. And it involves several things. First of all, when you're building an app, you don't have somebody who's been using it for, you know, a few months who hasn't built up a library of things that they've developed in it. So let's say that you're doing an app that paints pictures. And you want to work on the part that lets you display the pictures that have been painted and sort through them, reorder them, and so forth. But you're working on that piece of the puzzle. And what you need to do is stage some things as if they were painted. Because you don't want to sit there wasting your time, and your development time, actually painting pictures in your app. You just want to grab assets that are similar to the the, the data type that you're using stage them into the application and then test using these, these files there that as if they had been created by a user. Um, So you want to check renaming deletion. um, You want to check reordering. You want to check whether or not you can use the action button to share. I guess it's called action button if it's developer facing. If you're an iOS user, you will think of it as the share button, or if you're a Mac user, you'll think of it as a share button. And the share button lets you do things like tweet it and email it and do other things like that with it or print it. But you can't really test those things until there's data there. But the creation of the data through particular programs is very burdensome. So if you can create a test set and just be able to do a build, install it onto, you know, whatever system you're particularly testing on that day, and then stage those files in there so that you can treat it as if this is a use of longstanding, it is incredibly valuable to a developer. Because then they can go in and test the features that they really want to test, which is not drawing the pictures. The features they want to test, because they probably have like zero artistic ability, are things like, can I do all these file manipulations using my custom view controllers and do so in a way which keeps my program stable and, you know, with the proper feedback and so forth.
3: So um, I guess um, you could use uh, file sharing for this uh, but iTunes is very bad at displaying uh, files and it won't display a hierarchy. It'll just display the root of the documents folder and then you'd have to uh, add something to your info property list and you might forget it and and release an app that's uh, Mm -hmm. file sharing enabled. Um, Yes. And that's
2: a good way of doing it if you're only interested in documents. But another thing that people do when they're developing is they want to see how different preferences, different settings from the user are going to affect program operations. Mm -hmm. And those files aren't stored in the documents folder. Those files are stored generally in the library folder. And there is no official way to go in and out of the library folder through iTunes,
3: so, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, and we did have at the time of, um, of well, at the time when FileApp was still in active development. Uh, FileApp is our iOS uh, um, file manager app. We did have notifications sent from the device every time there was a modification in the file system, so that the UI in iMazing would uh, refresh. Because obviously, you cannot uh, install. Uh, an observer on the iOS file system um, from uh, um, an app which is which is uh, connected to iOS on, and the app is running on a computer, but uh, we do have n- possibilities to run no- notifications and so yeah, maybe there there could be actually quite powerful tools for developers um, related to to modifications in the file system in the library folder as well that we could uh, that we could build. I'll make a note of that. Thank you, Erica. Very interesting.
1: I am I want to ask about uh, something that, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of n- needing to reverse engineer. I wonder if, uh, I'm, I mean, if you're reverse engineering and sort of making um, taking advantage of private APIs and, and implementation details, Apple obviously can change those at any time. So I imagine you have experience with updates to iOS breaking iMazing. And I'm, I wonder if you can talk about that. Is that a, is that a big uh, problem? Is that something you spend a lot of
3: effort on? Um, it's something I personally freaked out about a lot when I joined the company. Uh, but then I lived through um, iOS 8.3, removing access to um, to the library folder and to the documents folder of non-sharing apps. Then we also lived through iOS 9, removing the ability to um, extract IPAs. And uh, we recently lived through iOS 10.0, 10.1, and 10.2, Um, completely changing each one of these versions, uh, the encryption protocols of the local backup. And it's actually been great fun. Uh, It's been very challenging, but it's been like the most exciting times um, in our company, having to come up with solutions, having to reverse engineer something with the pressure of time because the uh, iOS beta uh, come out in early June and then we just have two months and a half to you know get ourselves uh, sorted out and figure out ways to to come up with creative solutions and that's yeah it's actually really exciting um, and if we cannot find a solution, for example with the um, uh, the loss in iOS nine of the ability to extract the application themselves, well we found a creative solution to tell our users, well what matters is not really just the app, it's your data. So we will back up your device, extract the data, extract app metadata as well, and uh, package that in our own, own file um, format, we call iMazing App, so that uh, you can back up and restore applications one by one uh, from one device to another. And that actually led to some pretty cool discoveries, like we could uh, um, transfer application data over Apple IDs uh, in many cases which is pretty cool. And also something which there is uh, absolutely no uh, vanilla way of doing um, with Apple tools.
1: Oh, that's very cool. You mentioned in our um, notes before the show that there was some change in uh, APFS that, that caused trouble. I'm curious about mm. that.
3: Yes, that's um, uh, another use case for Amazing. When iOS um, is buggy, and people turn to us. They can't back up in iTunes, and uh, they search for an alternative solution, and they try us, and it doesn't work with us neither, except we have a device console, and it's very easy for us um, at uh, tech support to ask our users to send logs to us. And then we found out, for example, that in APFS, um, there were cases when the backup agent was crashing because APFS now supports two files having identical characters to the eye in the same folder, but in fact these characters have different Unicode representations. Um, it's called normalization. So APFS can work in a normalization-sensitive uh, way, which means you can you can write the Spanish word años and have a file named años.txt, but the N tilde can be written in two different ways in Unicode. And you may have these two files, both called anios.txt, in the iOS file system. Uh, and when the backup agent was trying to back up this, well, it start, started to back up the first one to your um, HFS Plus uh, Mac. And that worked fine. And then it started to back up the second one. And basically, the file already existed in the target uh, folder, in the backup folder on your on your Mac. so it's, didn't expect that situation and crashed because um, APFS hadn't rolled out yet on macOS and it's not possible on macOS. At the time, it wasn't possible to have two files with the same name coexisting. And so we had tons of users all over the world getting in touch and saying, hey, I can't back up my phone anymore. What's happening? Uh, And we just got all these logs and figured out what the problem was and were able to help users um, find the offending app and delete it or delete the files of the app if they were accessible or the files that were causing trouble. That was not so long ago. It was just, uh, yeah, a little less than a year ago.
0: A big thanks to Microsoft for sponsoring this episode of iFreaks. To promote the App Center, a continuous integration, delivery, and feedback suite of cloud services for Swift and Objective-C apps. With App Center, you can automate your iOS and macOS development lifecycle build, test, distribute, monitor, and push to ship five-star high-quality apps faster and with confidence. Building a development pipeline in your iOS apps has always been a challenge, but with App Center, you can get started in minutes. Simply connect your GitHub and Bitbucket repos and build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. As a fully modular suite of services, you can pick and choose the service you need and connect it to the tools you already use. Sign up now on appcenter.ms and spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding.
4: So another thing that we wanted to talk about today was data transparency. And I think most of us aren't really sure what that means. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: I have a little catchphrase for this. I came up uh, during a talk yesterday. Uh, I came up with that. It's a Basically, there's no uh, trust if there isn't any transparency. There can be no trust without transparency. How can you trust a data company if you don't know what it's doing with your data? Um, So transparency isn't just about accessing things. It's about knowing you can access them. Uh, Knowing, okay, um, now the Photos app is scanning faces, uh, to populate the um, the People album with uh, people I know and to make sense of my photo library and the people in my life. Well, how is it storing that data? Is that data being stored safely? Or is it just accessible in the Photos app uh, container on the device? And that's incredibly important, I find, to be able as a user uh, to go into the file system and to have a look at that Photos database just open it in a in an SQLite browser um, and see how is Apple doing this? How is it storing my data? Yeah, it's, I, I guess it's it's becoming more and more important as the as the years go by because jailbreaks are later and later to the party every year. This year was a bit special, but um, uh, when there's no jailbreak available and new features are rolled out, well, it's I find. Really cool to be able to to go into that file system and see what's happening for myself and not just uh, listen to, to corporate pitches.
4: So how does jailbreaking affect our ability to see the data that's on our phone?
3: Uh, it, lets, it, it, it grants you full access to all data. Uh, it's even better than a backup because a backup... Uh, It's only a partial image of the file system. Um, There are very complex rules involving what is backed up and what isn't. And developers can opt out of uh, of the backup. Any file, you can set an attribute on the URL uh, to exclude a file from the backup. So the backup is never a complete image. A jailbreak will always be needed if you want to get the full picture.
4: Okay, that makes sense. Now, another thing that might... related to data transparency is how people can use our data like how how can we know who's using that there's we mentioned earlier that whatsapp and facebook share an app group together which means they could conceivably share data like how how does that work and how can we protect ourselves Mm -hmm. from that
3: Um, that's a very interesting case i i'm not saying at all that this is happening Um, facebook and whatsapp sharing data What I'm saying is that when WhatsApp comes out and says, hey, don't worry, we got bought by Facebook and we're changing our terms of use, but there's no way Facebook could access your data because of end-to-end encryption. Well, that is simply, excuse my French, bullshit. And we know it's bullshit because we can look in the backup and we find that WhatsApp chats are stored in a non-encrypted database. And then we find that uh, WhatsApp has a uh, shared container with Facebook. Um, What is a shared container? Since iOS 8, uh, Apple allowed apps in the same app group to have a a folder, basically, a domain in which they can both push and read files. Um, So if they do have a shared container, even if the container is empty, it means that WhatsApp can leak its data to Facebook very, very easily. Uh, It takes just a few lines of code. It could even just make a temporary copy of the database in the shared container, and Facebook could just uh, suck it all up, parse it, run it through some machine learning algorithms, and uh, define that you're interested in this or that product, and then upload just a product ID to its servers and get uh, an an, an ad in front of your Facebook feed in no time. Again, I'm not saying it's happening. I don't know. It could be, uh, although with the jailbreaks we have today, I guess Facebook and WhatsApp are both uh, under enough scrutiny that it's probably not happening. Um, But but it could, and it's completely untrue to say that it isn't possible for Facebook to access your chats. It is very much possible anyone there or do yeah get lost? yeah
1: no nope, we're here
3: oh, sorry yeah uh, is there is am I am I talking too technically or because I'm nope. not sure what our audience is I'm I'm assuming a developer uh, type audience yeah yep, uh, yep that's it's,
1: it's developers and, and no yeah. I don't think you're talking too technically I think you're okay just right perfect yeah just right cool. um, that there seems to be a lot of uh, I mean there certainly is a lot of um, debate in the news right now about uh, privacy in sort of a surveillance state that's being built up by companies like Facebook. And to some degree I think that goes along with the kind of thing that you can use iAmazing for, which is to take control of your data to understand a little bit more about how it's being used. But I wonder where you see that going in the future. What I mean, are, are we going to see people push back and and kind of come up with ways to take control of this or are things just going to keep getting worse?
3: Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm not. I'm not much of an optimist. Uh, there, people will. Uh, did you see the Rene Ritchie post on uh, delete Facebook right now on iMore? I did. Um, yeah, and well, I don't see people mass deleting Facebook tomorrow, uh, even even following. You know, the the gravity of what happened with these fifty million profiles getting scraped by Cambridge uh, Cambridge Analytica. Um yeah, people are just they 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 live with these apps, it's part of their lives. Um it's they're they're addicted to them in many cases. So I don't see people taking strong action right now. Um yeah, it's unfortunate, but um
4: but yeah, yeah I think some people that that really care are a s- solid minority you know, mm. people listening to this podcast that don't want people taking their data and but there's people that that don't really care and i think it's also generational you know generation x and older that uh, they're a little creeped up about people having their data where younger people are often less so it's just they use it and they don't care if people look at it like why do they care if, why would someone care if i if i like this uh whatever this whatever product you know so I think it's just a, a different way of looking at things. And a lot of people just don't care.
3: Yep. Um, in that regard, all Apple's efforts on uh, differential privacy are, are pretty important because in the end, we do want better service. We do want ads which are more appropriate. Um, and yeah, all this optimization uh, of uh, advertisement and of of a UX, which can be possible via analysis of uh, our social lives does bring value, but we don't want this to come at the cost of, uh, of, of privacy and certainly not, um, we don't want our data to be used to influence our, our, our voting behavior. So
2: if you're not a, paying yeah. for it, you are the product.
3: Yes, that's a very, very true
2: Yeah, and it makes
4: sense. I'd much rather see an ad for something I would care about, a live show or a product I would use versus some generic Viagra ad or mortgage refinance scam, which you just go if they know nothing about you. So, in a sense, like, yeah, show me stuff that I would actually care about using and consuming, things that I care about. But it can definitely go in the wrong way and there's really no way for us to keep things in line without drastic measures which so and like the people that are, are harvesting the info are like have more incentive to to gather that info than i do to stop them from having it that mm. that, that they might misuse
3: it can go south very fast but uh, that's the optimistic uh um, side of my personality speaking now um i think advanced cryptography and you know can help there, and what what Apple is trying with uh, differential privacy, there's there's really a hint of of, of something interesting happening there. To um, so analyze data, to leverage data, to be able to replicate machine learning models uh, across across a cloud platform without endangering um, your your privacy, I don't think it's completely impossible. There, there are ways that are being developed uh, and they are being rolled out. So. What we should absolutely fight against is, is that sloppiness of, uh, you know, storing data and sharing data without anonymizing it, without scrambling it. Um, but fundamentally, um, it's not, it's not, the, the, the act of analyzing and tailoring services to, to, to behavior isn't precisely what's wrong, in my opinion.
4: And I also recommend just like messing with them, just liking stuff you don't care about, like Teletubbies and Celine Dion. Mm. So it keeps them on their toes.
2: Whoa, whoa! You are dissing the Teletubbies. <laughs> I'm just saying
4: a little off-brand for
3: what I like. wasn't wasn't my era.
2: Hmm.
3: Yeah, and I'm glad it's not mine either. I have three small kids, and uh, I'm certainly happy they're not watching this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what is what is wrong with Teletubbies?
4: I just picked one random thing that I'm not into out of my hat and it came up with Teletubbies.
3: Mm. And my it Little seems... Pony.
4: Uh, I don't know. That's kind of a thing, though, isn't it?
2: Oh, my gosh. My Little Pony is a much, much bigger thing than Teletubbies ever were. Yeah, My Little pony And surprisingly, got... it has infiltrated the Mac and iOS developer communities to a great extent. How so? There are many bronies among developers.
1: I've noticed that too. I'm not one of them, but I have noticed bronies.
2: And there's nothing wrong with being a brony. No. And there's nothing wrong with kids enjoying <laughs> Teletubbies, which is a charming and sweet and pleasant TV show.
3: But Before- um. Sorry, please go on. No, go ahead. Um, well, there were all these rumors at the time that um, Teletubbies were was a heavily linked to heavy LSD intake by the creators. Sorry, I'm a. Uh, I am I do not think that's something
2: here. new. In. You know, child TV development. I mean, if you go back and look at HR Puffin stuff, you know that the people who were creating these things, which still last today, in a state of mind that would one would not call sober in any way whatsoever.
4: Okay, fair, very fair. Puff, yeah, Puff the Magic Dragon. You know, it goes way yeah. back. Yeah,
2: I think it's part of a universal understanding that. A certain level of inebriation of whatever kind is generally a net positive to the creation of children's material.
3: Uh, <laughs> I I, no, I agree totally different. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, James, the point you were trying to make while taking just, random just swipes at Teletubbies.
4: Just don't take sick the Teletubby Bros on me. I'm sure it's a delightful TV show. I just never
3: watched it.
2: It is charming.
3: The sun freaks me out every time.
2: Oh, the sun, the little laughing baby sun. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is more or less proof of the LSD yes. consumption.
1: That's
3: what... Is there anything I'm else we should talk about? about? <laughs> Um yeah so what's next Oh uh, how
2: can we get uh, your application
3: Well you just go to iamazing.com and uh download a copy Um we have a free trial that has no time limits so you can fool around you can make as many backups as you want uh you can browse all your content without uh, ever paying or uh, giving us your email address Um then if you like it you can you can get a copy Um If you'd like a coupon code, I can issue one as well. I'd be happy to do that.
2: That would be awesome. But for everybody who doesn't get to have the fun of being on a podcast, how much does it cost?
3: Um, It's $40 for the single license. And uh, then you have $50 for the universal license, which is for two computers. And uh, you can use the same license on a PC and on a Mac. I'm
2: surprised that you're not pricing in euros. Why is that?
3: Um, because I'm talking to um, to people in the U.S.
2: <laughs> that is a very pragmatic
3: answer. <laughs> yes. And our, our market is mainly U.S.-based. Uh, we have about 50% of, uh, of, of users uh, in the U.S. And then it splits between so many currencies, um, it gives me a headache every time I look at it.
2: I just know that when I use PayPal, a lot of times I have to pay in euros for, for software and they make it pretty easy to do that.
3: Mm, we have a uh, reseller handling all the intricacies of uh, credit cards and um, so who do purchase you work orders. With? Um, we work with Paddle now.
2: And how has that been going?
3: We've just migrated, actually. We were with uh, FastSpring and uh, we used DevMate uh, to manage licenses and for crash reporting. And uh, DevMate and Paddle, uh, I think Paddle acquired DevMate. DevMate got a stake in Paddle. It was kind of a merger thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, it makes sense to to move along and, and join that adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, the long-term goal for them... Well not too long term we hope is to merge the uh, licensing management um and the well sales um into a single service, which is uh, quite exciting so what took you away from
2: FastSpring?
3: uh nothing per se FastSpring was uh, was good it was it was working well it's as i said just we have a good relationship with uh Mac Paul who made uh have and uh, it just made sense to, to follow along and, and join Pedal.
2: Mm-hmm. That sounds fair.
1: I think we could do a whole episode about um, the non technical aspects of your company and your app because I, I'm really impressed by your website. Oh, well,
3: thank you very much. I'll 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 have a chat with our uh, web designer about that. He'll be very happy.
1: I've, I, it reminds me of back when I very first got into Mac development, which was in 2005-ish, before the iPhone, before iOS sort of took everything over, and and before web development was as big of a thing, and people cared so much about their their apps UI, and and that care extended all the way to their websites, and they always looked really nice. And I'm talking about like indie Mac developers and mm-hmm. you seem to still be in that category and and doing that really well. Um I'm also interested in how your UI looks really good and really mac native and then you but you also have a windows version of the app which I haven't actually seen but I'm I'm sort of assuming that it's probably just as at home on windows as the mac app is on the mac which is cool.
3: Um yeah we had feature parity between the mac and the windows version. Um, nearly at feature parity. We just lack an agent on Windows, which uh, our Windows users are very mad about. But it's coming very, very soon. We promise. Um. Anyway, on Windows we use Windows controls. We don't try to style things. Um. And to and to you know monkey the uh, Mac OS look at all. And on the Mac we just go for for the system look. Uh, we give great care to just using system controls and trying to get that padding and alignment so. Uh,
2: yeah, uh, let's see if that lasts past June.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll see what happens in June. It'll be very interesting.
2: But I think really just having to learn how to sell and a lot of people have stepped back from the App Store whether for reasons like your app where you're doing things that, you know, wouldn't pass the bar to get into the App Store. Or because as an independent developer, you feel you can sell better, promote better, and have a better business model outside the app store. I love hearing about which vendors you choose for for selling, for for doing your licenses, and all those sort of things, which is why I was asking.
3: Mm. Yeah, it's a very interesting, um, interesting subject. All that goes around development, uh, all the... SAS tools we use to to help us with that. Um, yeah, uh, for us. And we, you're
2: we, not just doing Mac; you're also doing storefronts that work with Windows.
3: Well, the storefront doesn't really care about um, the user's platform. We just have um, we just have a, a download link on the web page. But when you buy the license, because it is universal, uh, the same license code will work on both both platforms. So mm-hmm. the storefront itself isn't is isn't much of an issue.
2: But the validation of a license, doesn't that have to happen off-site
3: somewhere? Um, yes, that's handled by DevMate. So whenever you input your license, um, DevMate has a little secret source to identify the computer and to uh, you know, associate your license with the computer. Uh, and you can then deactivate if you wish as well. Um, but we find that you know, we get cracked pretty easily these days. And, um, I think
2: people are always going to get cracked. That is yeah. just.
3: But we don't really part care. Part of life. Yeah, it's it's life. If people crack you, it means they li- like you. You know, it's tough love. Um, so <laughs> why not? And it is good. I mean, good. Well, co- the why not
2: well. is because I'm still getting tech support requests from apps I no longer make from people using cracked versions. Mm. Yeah, you know, why doesn't my app work anymore? Why did it stop working?
3: Mm. Yeah, we we got some uh, uh, Discade Five requests um, until uh, I think about last week, and I'm sure there's going to be one next week too. Uh, Discade Five was uh, yeah 2011, I think, and uh, it just doesn't work on anything more than iOS 4 or and iTunes 10 or something. So yeah. That happens.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, if there's nothing
0: else we should talk about, should we get to picks? Let's do it. Want to automatically build, test, and release your iOS and macOS apps? Try App Center. Connect your repo within minutes, build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. Spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. Visit appcenter.ms and get started for free.
1: Jane, why don't you start us out? Do you have any picks?
4: All right, I've got one pick. Now, over the past few months, I've been doing a lot of build stuff, and I inherited a build machine that had a ton of provisioning profiles on it from people just trying to get things to work. So it was a bunch of certificates, a bunch of provisioning profiles. And I needed a way to find out if a particular profile was on the disk, in the, on, in the file system. And I eventually figured it out. There's some wonky bash script i was able to pull together using some apple tools and fiddling it with some way but someone did a ruby gem that you can install in your system and get information on the provisioning profiles that are on the file system because once they're in your provisioning profiles directory you know it's, it's a grid and you can't really tell without doing a bunch of weird stuff
2: i have never heard the word GUID said aloud.
4: Mm. neither have i that's how i've heard it i don't know but uh i like I say it GUID. all right i'm for it I also heard uh, Etsy, you know, ETC and Linux systems. I said Etsy. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know if Isn't that's an like.
2: Is Etsy more a place that you sell really bad handmade items?
4: It's Kind of both. And they're kind of the same, right?
2: <laughs> and then they become <laughs> regretsy after you buy them.
1: <laughs> regretsy. My wife, my wife sells things on Etsy, but they're not bad. They really aren't.
4: All right. So it's on GitHub. It's by Ali Software and it's pprof. And it's a Ruby gem. You can just install. And run it, and get all sorts of information on the provisioning profiles that are on your system, so I'll put a link in the show notes that is my pick. Thanks, Jim Erica, do you have a pick for us?
2: Okay, I had a different pick, but I'm going with teletubbies. It <laughs> is a perfectly cromulent show, perfect for the you know two to four set, and it has a vacuum cleaner called Nunu as it's one of its primary caretaker characters. It is charming. It has a weird baby face in the sun, and it is the perfect companion for both small children and people who have otherwise left reality behind them through whatever chemical means.
1: I'll second that. And now you know. My my two-year-old definitely does like Teletubbies. (laughs) And it's a lot less objectionable than a lot of other stuff that he could be watching. Okay, uh, let's see. Gregorio, do you have a pick for us?
3: Um, I gave that a thought, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure, um, but I've discovered Notion today. And um, I hate Confluence more and more every day. Um, I'm okay with Asana. I think it actually... Does much better uh, for small teams than something like Jira uh, for project management and and uh, bug reporting, but uh, Notion looks like you know, it's it could be it could be the next thing for us. Um, so yeah, it's not really a pick. Um, I'd love to get your opinions on it if you know it. Do any of you know Notion? I don't know it. I
2: know Jira.
3: Yeah, I know Jira. Yes. Okay. Notion is a. Uh, wiki task manager um it's like it's merging Confluence, jira uh your internal knowledge base it's trying to merge all that into into one place and one app and it looks really well made so i've just started to play around with this and yeah i just wanted to give these guys a shout out because um it's really difficult to organize uh a nice knowledge base, and not to lose yourself in just so many systems that your your knowledge is, is just um, spilled out over services uh, instead of being well organized and and nicely referenced. Very cool. Well, I have it's oh, got go a very Sorry, pretty
2: landing page.
3: Yeah, it's 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 a super nice. Notion, yeah. Bunch of illustrations. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> need to play around a bit more. But uh, the idea of merging uh, knowledge base, bug reporting, task management uh, all in one would be, yeah, it's quite appealing to me.
1: Cool. Well, I've got one pick. I uh, I like to write outlines, and I'm for various things, and I'm writing a brand new iOS curriculum right now, so I'm doing a lot of outlining. And uh, I for a long time, like years and years ago, I used Omni Outliner, but my version now is pretty old and to get the newest version I'd have to pay so I kind of went looking to see what was out there now and no knock against Omni Outliner because I think it's actually a really good app and I love the the people at Omni and the stuff they make but I went looking for others and I found a, an app called Outline Edit that's just made by a single guy a indie developer um, and I'm really happy with it. It's, it's very well done. It's a native Mac app. Very much a native Mac app. Um, so I've been using it and enjoying it and that's my pick. Okay, well, thanks for coming on the show, everyone. Thanks, Gregorio, for talking to us about iAmazing. Well, thanks very much for having me. If people want to f- uh, n- get in touch with you specifically, uh, do you have a? Do you, are you on Twitter or is there some way to find you?
3: Um, I don't tweet, but I am on Twitter. That's um, Real will I'll add that to the show notes.
1: Okay, sounds good. We'll have a link in the show notes. All right, thanks, everybody. See you all next week